We are on this little series on a life of worship and if you missed last week's talk uh, with Joe in the tracksuit bottoms, uh, then um, Joe in the tracksuit bottoms with the hair, um, then can I encourage you to listen to it? It's a really important talk and Joe last week just beautifully laid out the foundations for this series about what it means to live a life of worship. And uh, we are talking about sung worship, but actually what Joe so importantly highlighted last week was that this is about the whole of our lives. This is about the things that we think, the way that we work, the way that we relate to people. And one aspect of that is our sung worship. And we're all wired in slightly different ways, you know, and, and sometimes churches with kind of gathering for worship, whether it's, you know, in a slightly more formal context with, you know, reading out of the book as we start the day like that in this place, or whether it's kind of extended periods of singing the same refrain over and over again. You know, there are different groups of people that can find that difficult, either at one end of the spectrum or the other. One of my kids walked into the office this, this afternoon and, and, and said, I can't remember exactly what they said, but it was something like, do you really like that? <laughs> and I was listening to a Teze chant. You know, it's got about five words. I mean, frankly, it just goes on and on and on. There's a core part of that that helps me connect. And I stumbled across it again this morning because... Tomorrow, I've got to go and do a monk's day for wasps. I don't know what a monk's day is, so I thought I'd better pull out the Teze again. <laughs> and it was kind of, as I listened to it again, it was, and these chants, these repetitive chants, it was, there was a richness there that kind of plugged me back into a place that I used to spend a lot of time. It was like, yes. For some of you, the, the concept of, of singing kind of feels alien. And that's why it's so important as we go through this series that you know that this is about a life of worship. This is not about an hour on a Sunday. But we are going to talk about the sung worship as well. I, when I was at Bible school, um, I, I wanted to make Meg... Uh, a wardrobe and um, I'm not the best carpenter in the world um, as some of you will have observed, observed with my pre-Christmas accident but I enjoy it and it's life-giving for me and as I kind of took over our student kitchen in Bristol uh, and swept up after I'd done it at the end of each evening trying not get you know sawdust and food mixed up um, I just felt as I was working on this, making this wardrobe and taking care with the, with the joints and learning how to do those things along the way, that this was worship. And as I got to the end of it, I was like, but Lord, don't you want to say anything? And he was like, not yet. And I got to the end and there was just that clear sense that he delighted in what I was doing and that going slowly and doing things well 
gave him glory. I watched a film uh, last night. I, as we say, I didn't hear very much of it. I was on the running machine and I had it on. And apparently it was too loud for the rest of the house, but, but I couldn't really hear the text. But um, it was one of these... Um, uh, it was one of these kind of... Um, Greek gods at war kind of films and you know and um, so there was it was only a 12 but there was an awful lot of kind of you know beasts and blood and you know things going everywhere and you know I, I just you know, as I, was, I, I thought I needed something to try and help me run faster um, just get away <laughs> um, and it really struck me as I, as I was as I was watching it that this picture that is portrayed in those kind of films about the ancient gods, small g, and if you want to know what the small g is out about, then go and look on the website under the media tab where you can find Joe's talk from last week and check in for my talk, which was really inspired by John Mark Comer, um, about all roads lead to God. Because they, they don't. And I just unpacked. God with a big G, the almighty God, and God's with a small G. And it struck me as I was watching this film last night that these really are gods in the Old Testament way of thinking with a small G. Or in the New Testament way of thinking, these are demons. You know, because what they want for the people is they demand worship. They demand worship. And if you don't give it to them and if you don't do the right thing, they are going to utterly destroy you in the most horrific way possible. And they're fighting with each other. And so as we come to this, the reminder for this evening that our worship, our faith is really specific. We don't worship any old God. We are gathered as a community of followers of Jesus Christ. We have a clear vision that is about following Jesus and helping others to follow Jesus. We are people that are seeking to walk in the way of Jesus. And if you've not caught hold of that yet, if you're kind of hanging around the edges, wondering what this community is all about, folks, we're a community that is trying to follow Jesus. Not just in the sense of following a set of ideas, but following the person of Jesus Christ, who comes and fills us with his spirit. And there's all sorts of good things that we can do as a community. There's all sorts of things that we should be involved in. And we've got this little series in the morning about, about justice, about how we can care for the earth. Um, next week, we're going to look at all different ways that we're involved and connected as, as a Christian community. But you know, those are not the things that distinguish us. Any nice middle class person can do their recycling. That's not what makes you a follower of Jesus Christ. Especially if it ends up in Malaysia uh, on their rubbish heap rather than ours. 
Being middle class and nice is not the defining characteristic of being a Christian. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ is the defining characteristic of being a Christian, a follower of Christ. And so as we come to this this evening, I I want you to know that words are important. Because we're not here as worshippers with a small g of the small gods. We're worshippers of the living God who has made himself known in scripture. The specific God who has a name and his name is Jesus. His name is Father. His name is the Holy Spirit. He's not demanding. He's not angry. He is loving. He's the one that creates this wonderful earth, even though we've made a mess of it. And he continues to pour out his grace. And you know, that's not a New Testament idea. That's a Bible idea. This idea that God, our loving heavenly father, has shown grace to us. And we see it right in Genesis when people stumble and fall. Father God's response in that place is to come and sacrifice his own creation to protect their newfound shame, to cover them and give them dignity. This is God who enters into a covenant with people. He's not angry and ranting. He enters into a covenant with people. He calls them into a relationship. He makes makes an agreement with us and says, I will go with you. I will be with you. His response to sin is serious. It's not cheap. It's serious. And right at the start, there's this weird system that we don't quite understand of sacrifice. He sacrifices an animal to cover and protect their nakedness. And then later on, there's this story of Abraham going to sacrifice his son. And right at the last minute, uh, God provides the sacrifice in his place. And it's this picture of what Jesus will do. He becomes the sacrificial lamb to pay the price for us. You know, for, for some of us for whom I, I love song worship, but I know that for some song worship is, is, is difficult and it's like I, I don't feel it connects. But you know, one of the reasons why I think that song worship is for all of us, even if we find the pleasure and the delight of God when we're running or chopping stuff up or building stuff or whatever else it might be. One of the reasons why I think sung worship is important is because it's something that we can do together as the body of Christ. And what sung worship does is it physically connects us with our core. 
And we sing with our whole bodies. And as we do so, the Spirit of God comes and transforms our living. Because the way that we live is as important. The things that we think about, the things that we scroll through and dwell on, the way that we look out for our neighbours, the way that we live in the context of this city. And so my question before we get into this who we worship is simply what are you giving worth to in your life? If worship is to give worth to someone, to something, where is it in your life that you are attributing worth? How much of your time is given over to God? I don't just mean standing there and not moving, although we're going to come to that talk in two weeks' time. And not doing anything until you've worshipped. I mean the whole of your existence, the way that you work, the way that you relate. How much of that is giving worth to God? How much of your first waking half an hour gives worth to God and by God I mean God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit as revealed in the Old and New Testament if you're not giving worth to God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit that's not how you're living your life my invitation to you this evening is come to him it's his invitation to you to come into his presence to hear his invitation to you to live well because he's paid the price he's set those things aside he's won everything for you so let's just dig into who we worship. Because you know, as, it's funny, as we, uh, as, uh, as worship becomes more and more sung, so we can sometimes lose track of the things that are historically important. And so what can happen is that you can be in the space of informal worship, which is, which is my home. Uh, and you can miss some of the kind of, if you like, core truths of the historic Christian faith. So let me take you through just a few things. The first is that God the Father has made himself known through the Son, through Jesus. That Jesus is fully God and fully human. And God, delight, God the Father delights to have his fullness dwell in his son, Jesus. And in Jesus, through him, everything was made. It wasn't just that 2,000 years ago, Jesus appeared. There's this idea in scripture that Jesus has always been. It's just that 2,000 years ago, he became called Jesus because he took on human flesh. 
But this idea is that he is the wisdom, the word, the divine logos of the universe. And through him, everything gets made and it gets made for him. All these things kind of have a beginning and the end and we'd like to kind of put them over there from each other. But they're not like that. They're kind of like this, these, these circles that are connected with one another. So it's made through him, but it's also made for him. Yet at the same time, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters of creation. You see, in creation, God the Father is involved, God the Son is involved, and God the Holy Spirit is involved. And so when I meet people and they say, well, yeah, I'm not quite sure about Jesus. You know, I I just prefer to, to worship God. I'm like, that's okay, but it means that you haven't got it yet. Because if you're not worshipping Jesus Christ and his Father and our Father and the Holy Spirit, then you haven't got it. And you could be worshipping any God and you want to watch it if you're worshipping any old God. Because they're out to get you. So our worship is to God the Father. Our worship is to the Son. The disciples at the end of Jesus' ministry worship him. And he accepts their worship. But this is the bit that might be news for some of you. We are also to be worshippers of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is not an angelic force. He's not a a, a kind of detached spirit that kind of rests upon you and, and there's just electricity. Yes, sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes, honestly, it feels amazing. It can feel like six months of counseling just zapped all in one go. And your body can feel weird and you can fall to the floor and it's amazing. But the Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. Now you might go, oh, Mark, no, no, I'm not, I'm not sure about worshipping the Holy Spirit. Well, can I read you some words from one of the historic creeds that the church has always held onto? It says this in the longer version. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And this is a three-part creed. It's one bit about the Father, one part about Jesus the Son, and one part about the Holy Spirit. And this is the last part. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. The Holy Spirit is is the Lord and he's also the giver of life. (laughs) The one who proceeds from the Father and the Son. He is the gift to us from the Father and the Son, but he's not been made by them. Next line. Who with the Father and the Son is to be worshipped and glorified. Who has spoken through the prophets. And it goes on. Folks, it is good to worship. But we need to be clear about who we are worshipping. An old song written in 1551 says this. Praise, and it's in old language for the last line. 
but you'll get it. 1551, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. (coughs) He's the creator. He's compassionate. He's good. He's loving. He's paid the ransom for us. He forgives our sins. He doesn't demand worship, but he invites us in as friends and co-laborers. He fills us with his life, with his Holy Spirit, not leaving us as orphans, but as adopted children into his family. And so as we come to worship in a moment in song, take these times when we're gathered together as the body. Come on, come on band, let me come Take these times as we gather together as the body of Christ to press in. Because as we press in together in song, what happens is is he fills us afresh with his Holy Spirit and he transforms our living and our thinking so that our living and our thinking also brings worship to him. And as you come this evening, and as we press in together a little bit more in worship, please hear that you are invited. You've been invited to come and stand in the throne room of the living God. And that you do not need to be ashamed or embarrassed. And he invites those who have much and those who have nothing. Those who didn't make it through secondary school or even primary school. And those who have got more doctorates or whatever it is than they can put on their walls. He invites the unemployed or the not yet employed. He invites the sick and those who've got more jobs than they know what to do with. He invites men and women. He invites you if, you've, if life has gone completely smooth and swimmingly and you are the picture of middle class, beautiful, Georgian fronted houses, bath niceness. And he invites you if your life is actually more more like the back of the Royal Crescent than the front. A hodgepodge of stones that have been cobbled together over time and the architecture doesn't look like it costs very much. He invites you. And he invites you into his presence because he loves you. He delights in you and he declares over you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is so not like trying to cut a plea bargain with the Greek gods. Shall we worship?
Shall we worship God the Father? Shall we worship Jesus? Shall we worship the Holy Spirit together? Come on. Let's stand. Lord, you are welcome here. Teach us. Teach us to worship. Teach us to worship. Thank you for your graciousness that you invite each one of us. Come and pour out your spirit upon us in healing. It might be for some of you that you just need to make that choice again for the first time. This is the this is the access point, the cross. And if you've not been this way, then tonight's the night to leave the old ways behind, to come to the living God. And if you if you want to find peace, if you want to find rest, this is where you find it. In him, the other side of this cross.